Hello and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. This podcast is kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, visit n200.com. Uh, a very good afternoon, uh, evening or morning, wherever you're watching uh, tonight's podcast. Um, You've connected to the live stream via eventindustrynews.com. Tonight's live stream will allow you to interact in real time with our guests, giving you the power to put questions directly to them and get your opinions heard. You can submit your questions via the live stream window on the device that you are watching this podcast on, or you can tweet us at eventnewsblog. Don't forget that you can stay up to date with all the latest content from eventindustrynews.com by downloading the brand new Event Industry News app, which is available for all the major mobile devices. So on to tonight's episode and we welcome our guest this evening, Giles Perry. Giles is the event director for the Ideal Home Show portfolio of events at Media 10. Giles, a very good evening to you. Good evening, James. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be looking uh, in tonight's episode of the podcast at the must-have ingredients for a successful show. Um, I suppose the first question we should fire at you uh, tonight, Giles, is how do we define what a successful show is? Well, I suppose, James, you've, you've got to look at it from, from different perspectives, from uh, organizers' perspective, from exhibitors, and, and from our visitors. Um, organizers, uh, being blunt, it's about putting on a successful event that, um, that ultimately makes money, really. Um, but, you know, also putting on uh, events uh, that, that add to the portfolio that we've got here at Media 10 that are enhancing the brand and obviously Idle Home Show is a brand with you know 109 years of history so any event that falls in that portfolio it's got to you know be adding to that brand now successful events for exhibitors obviously is you know all about sort of return on investment um, they're spending an awful lot of um, money not just on the stand space you know on the staffing on the stand design um, and they want to see results from the events that we're putting on it's you know it's allowing them to get up close and personal with their um, with their customers hopefully you know generating a huge amount of leads um, interest increasing brand awareness but then ultimately leading you know to uh, more sales for their company visitors um, putting on a successful event you know we want to have we want our visitors to come uh, have an amazing day out of the show but also get what they want out of the show you know we're competing for an awful uh, we're competing with an awful lot of different mediums now and events it's not just about your traditional events that we're competing with you know we're competing with um, huge shopping centers re retailtainment as we call it is is you know is it a, a big impact on our events um, so we you know we're competing with a lot of people to to get people to our events and we want them to come we want them to get ideas inspiration have a great day out and we want them to then come back year on year and we want them to be telling everyone that the ideal home show is the place to come for ideas inspiration um, you know and and then return year after year if you don't mind me touching on the subject of, of ROI very briefly, um, a podcast that we did just a few weeks ago was looking at what some people now see as a bit of a myth, the term ROI, and, and how much of a place it still has because of how difficult it actually is to quantify and analyze whether or not you've actually got ROI. 
short of actually having something on your stand that you are selling at an exhibition and being able to say this is what the stand cost us and this is how much we sold up there therefore that is our ROI. How are you working with the exhibitors um, with the portfolio shows at the moment to help them analyze in some way you know what, what, what they're getting from the show and what benefit it's bringing to their businesses? Yeah well you know with the exhibitors it is about that that education you know we're, we're trying to explain to our exhibitors that you know this appearance um, at one of our shows it's not just a bit of three four or seventeen day um, you know show this is a 365 day investment really and they should be doing everything they can to sort of um, work the stand generate those leads because you know looking at the ideal home show if you're coming to buy a kitchen or a bathroom that is typically a nine-month decision-making process. You're not going to come to the Ideal Home Show, see a kitchen, or you know, there are instances where you do this, but very rarely will people come, make that purchase there and then. They are they're coming, they are you know educating themselves, and they're then making a an informed decision maybe nine months later. So it's trying to it's trying to um, you know run exhibitor workshops. It's trying to constantly talk to them and say, look, don't just think of this as, as the three or the four day exhibition. Think of this as a, as a year long investment, and we sort of do work with exhibitors to to, to you know to, to re-educate them. Um, I'm just looking at some figures here and uh, a, a few years ago one of the major high street banks looked at the total spend that homeowners put into improving their properties um, and the, that figure was 16.6 .6 billion on home improvements and maintenance in a single year. Now as I said this was done by one of the major high street banks. How, how much of a uh, an impact given that you guys now have a show that has got a rich history and is a very very well established brand but now a portfolio of shows how much responsibility do you think that these shows now take for that sort of figure being spent on home, home improvements I, th I think a quite a quite a big responsibility really you know it's talking about media 10 shows it's, it's not just the ideal home show it's you know we've, we've got grand designs as well we've you know we launched trade events UK construction week we run 100% design so um, we are trying to position ourselves in that that home interest market as as you know um, an authority I suppose on um, homes and housing and how you know how you're going to be living in in you know 10 20 30 years time so you know, I think I think we have a huge responsibility. Um, you know, to to help those brands in those markets and put them together with the with the visitors to to ultimately make you know decisions and and good purchases. It's our shows are allowing people to to get up close and personal with with the products, which you know, traditional advertising is 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 not doing. Let's let's look at then some of the ingredients or the must-have ingredients. We said at the top of the show that today's topic was going to be the must-have ingredients for a successful show. I think perhaps what might be sensible inevitably is, is to break it down and look at the individual shows within the ideal home portfolio and brand now um, because I'm presuming here that each one of those shows is going to have its own ingredients that are unique to that particular location. Similarly there will be certain ingredients that will translate from venue to venue. Um, let's first of all look at the, the, the flagship event which is in London um, at Olympia now. That was uh, very recent. Tell us a little bit about that and what are some of the ingredients that you, you're putting together specifically for the London audience? Yeah, so the, so the London show um, 
took place. I finished on the 9th of April at Olympia. Um, it's it's the flagship show. It's the show that's been going for now, you know, 109 years. Um, but what we're trying to put into obviously the flagship show, but all of the shows is is as much content, you know, as we can cram in. You know, cram into that exhibition centre. You know, as I said before, we're, we're competing with a lot of other things um, for the pound in people's pockets, and we've got to constantly add new content, um, have you know, ideas, advice, inspiration. We've got to you know refresh the look and the feel of the show every time we run it. You know, at Media Ten, we're we're we're, we're very proud. We spend a lot of time and money. On the show design, we want people to come into that environment and almost, you know, be taken back. Go, go, oh, wow, you know, make it look like, you know, it's been properly designed, inviting. So people are going to obviously spend much longer in that exhibition. Moving on to the sort of uh, regional differences, obviously, we then have to put in tailor-made content um, for be it the Scottish market, be it the Manchester market, be it where. You know, we run shows now, you know, all over the world, China, South Africa, um, and we've got to tailor the content for those specific markets as well. But there is an overriding um, ethos, I suppose, at Media 10 that we want to get as much content into those shows. You know, really, we're in the entertainment business. We've got to try and get things into our shows that are going to entertain people, keep them interested, keep them engaged and excited. They're just going to spend longer in the show and, you know, Get more face-to-face -face time with our exhibitors. One thing I must ask about the London show this year, um, and what we should first do is just bring up the dates. The London show opened its doors on the 24th of March, uh, I'm right in saying. As many people will be aware, two days before that, on the 22nd of March, London was subjected to a terrorist attack in Westminster, which inevitably has uh, a knock-on effect to people's willingness to travel in and out of places like that, especially in public transport. Naturally, concerns are going to be heightened. How big an impact did it have on this year's show, and how much of a, a consideration did you have to put into it last minute once those attacks took place? Yeah, I think it's, it's the second time that we've had, we've had um, such an incident like that as we were during you know during the build-up period of the show. So, you know, it, it was a con concern, and you know, you're never going to be able to quantify it, but it would have put some doubt into some people's minds. But, you know, us Brits are very good at sort of, um, you know, sucking it up and getting on with it and, you know, not not letting these terrorists win. So while it, it was a, a definitely a consideration and concern, you know, we worked with Olympia, with the venue, you know, with the Met Police to make sure that we reviewed all the security that we had in place, all of the, the policies and procedures. We ended up enhancing and increasing the number of um, you know uniform staff that we had sure. um, on on at the time the, the the venue backed us up did the same and, and the Met, Met police were were constantly involved so you know those those sort of things they happen in life unfortunately but you know we're set up to deal with them and just take them you know as and when they arise and and I think you know it's, it's about trying to keep calm making sure that you've got things in place that do reassure the audience, but you know, there's bound to be one or two that maybe would not have made the journey into central London being two days before the show. But but as 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 far as you're aware, there were no discernible um, drops in visitor numbers, certainly in the early part of, of the show days. Yeah, no, no discernible um, knock-on effect. We are 
audience, the Ideal Home Show audience, is, is a it's a very passionate audience. It's a it's an audience that's obviously grown with the show. You know, um, we fielded quite a lot of telephone calls and a lot of emails. You know, asking us what they were, what you know, what action we were taking. So they they just want to know that we're they're being listened to, and we go back and we reassure them and say that we are you know putting things in place, and that generally puts their puts their minds at rest. And you get a lot of people that just you know then then turn up and they will speak to you. They're a very vocal audience, um, good or bad, you know, you're, we're going to hear about it. And, um, you know, a lot of them will speak to us and say, you know, terrible what happened to you guys, but we're not going to miss out. You know, we're not going to let them win and we're, sure, yeah. gonna, it's not going to interfere with our annual trip to the Ideal Home Show. So, so tell me then, spring almost feels like it's, it's a bit of a roadshow time for you where you pack it all up in London and then um, it all gets shipped north um, up to Scotland I think is the next one in the portfolio am I right in saying that? That's right yeah we're at the, um, the SEC in Glasgow on the 26th of May we open the doors so we're, we're heading up there next week to start setting up um, we have a brief respite about a week and then we head across to Event City um, in Manchester on the 9th of June so, so how much of these ingredients um, that work in London can actually metaphorically go in the back of a van and be driven northbound to Glasgow and how many have to stay in London um, is it a completely different audience and one thing that I was keen to ask is there's such a differential in property prices mm. around the country now in, in the UK people will know undoubtedly how expensive it is to own and run a property in London and in the southeast of England and by comparison those prices will be completely different and those costs will be completely different in somewhere like Manchester. Um, how big a part does that play and when you actually look at the audiences and the locations that the shows are going to be in, do you have to address that differential in these different parts of the UK? Um, we obviously, yes, it, it's something that we have to bear in mind. When we're filling theatre content, we, we take we will take the, the you know the bones of of a feature, be it a, be it a super theatre. So that will appear down at London. Um, the same you know elements of that same structure go up to Glasgow and go up to Manchester. Um, we have sometimes there's an overlap on the celebrities that appear on there, but the timetabling it, it is completely different. So it's you know we interweave some regional content in there. So we have some local experts talking about um, you know. Their field of expertise will also run you know consistent themes from London within that so you know the likes of um, George Clark who will appear all through all three of the shows um, and he's, he's obviously very clever and, and will just tailor his individual performance to suit suit that market and is completely clued up with property prices in the area that he's talking about so you know there, yes there's a consistent theme but we we try and you know bear in mind who who we're sort of preaching to, who we're talking to, um, but there is that consistent theme. So we will try and take, because we know they work pretty much, you know, we know that yeah. a, a super theatre works, we know that, you know, a, uh, a chef's theatre, you know, it works. And so we're just taking that on the road because we're not going to get those people from Glasgow coming all the way down to London. You know, it, it used to happen when the Idol Home Show was the only event of its time down um, at Olympia. But, um, you know, we're just now catering for those, those individual markets because no, we know that they're not going to come down as far as London.
When you reflect on this year's London show, were there any aspects or ingredients of that show that you were particularly proud of, be them big or small, you know, even if it was a subtle change to something that you look yeah. back and you think, I'm really pleased we made that decision to do that? Yes, we, um, we launched uh, the Eat and Drink Food Festival. So we sort of noticed that there was, there was this movement, I suppose, for for more local produce, the street food movement, you know, local artisan, passionate food producers are, are everywhere now. You know, you, you yeah. go uh, the weekend, you can't, you know, drive through town without there being some sort of food event. So we, we tried to tap into that and we sort of refreshed and rebranded our food section of the Idle Home Show. So the Eat and Drink Festival, we, we effectively bought an outdoor food festival indoor so it was you know we had the street food vendors we had the the craft beers the you know the the gin the prosecco all those things that are current at the moment we sort of wove those into the fabric of the show and it, it was really well received we managed to get a, a whole new foodie audience to the ideal home show and then our normal ideal home show visitors had a sort of brand new revamped food section to enjoy and the, and the feedback we had we had our research meeting actually today was was really positive for effectively a launch event in London, so that was that was a highlight for me. You know, the Idle Home Show, the, the show houses—they're always something that, that that draw the crowd. You know, we had um, George Clark's rotating home this year, which is effectively um, a very small footprint um, house which rotates. Um, you know, it works on the basis that you can only be in one place at one time. And you, well, the bottom of it stays still. You press a button on your iPad or your iPhone, it all links in, and this whole house rotates. So where you were once in the kitchen, it rotates, and you're, you're then in the bedroom or the lounge area or the bathroom. That was, again, really well received. So I think they, they were the two highlights. Uh, I'm curious to, to ask, you've used the word entertainment a couple of times so far since the start of, of today's episode and if, for people who are just tuning in we're talking to Giles Perry who is the event director for the Ideal Home Show portfolio of events um, owned and operated by Media 10 um, and you've used this word entertainment and when you mentioned there about bringing this food festival in this is something now that's been not just creeping in but stamping its place in music festivals and outdoor events now for several years people don't just want the greasy burger van next to the ice cream van and that will do you for a weekend they want far better quality they want a choice of food and drink etc but what that then does is that and then that adds to the experience of the entertainment which is in that instance the live music acts now in this instance have you already been able to see that the food and drink element, and I'll be blunt about this, people having a few glasses of Prosecco, maybe a gin and tonic and something nice to eat, suddenly it improves the mood and suddenly the exhibitors are getting these amazing visitors coming up to them who are really enthused. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I suppose a little uh, a drink, a glass of champagne always helps um, relax people when they, when they come into a show. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, the entertainment side of things it is important you know I mentioned retail attainment you know you'll, you'll see now shopping centers they are they're trying to add they're not just there for the shops they are adding more and more things and, and that's what we're competing in so we're we're trying to bring that in so bringing that festival atmosphere in yes it definitely helped it relaxed people you know visitors exhibitors alike saying you know this is fantastic this is this is exactly what we want we they don't want to see the same show year after year they want to see they want to see new things, and and we had the street foods vendors who, 
you know, they have followings of their own now. They are, you know, they've got their own social media followings. They have bands that follow them. Um, and, and we had, you know, buskers, com comedians, um, uh, the new sort of hip foodie chefs. Um, we had drinks experts. And probably within that square meterage, you know, up in the West Hall at Olympia, probably more entertainment and more content than, we, than we've ever had. I'm I'm reading some some information relating to the first ever Ideal Home show, uh, which, according to the information I've got, was back in 1908. Yes. So in 1908, right. that first show apparently took 3,000 men one week to build. Um, by comparison, now, how big is the build, both in terms of duration and in terms of manpower, and how much easier is it now with you know, technology moving as it does in order to actually put a, an exhibition of this scale together yeah. in a relatively short period of time. I, th I think, I, you may want to check that, I think it may have taken 3,000 men one month to make. I, I think, um, you know, they used to take a, a very, very long tenancy, um, be it at Olympia or Earl's Court, and they were building houses from scratch, from the ground up, brick by brick, um, we, to put it into context, we now have a six-day build. So we've gone from a month and 3,000 men to probably something in the region of 150 men six days. And we are, build, we are still building, you know, three show houses. We're building lots, lots of theatres. Um, and we are using modern building techniques. You know, we, we've used um, modular construction. So we do some of the, the work off-site and you're basically putting together effectively Lego blocks to, to create yes. that show house. Um, we've used SIPS system, which is, I'm getting a bit technical here, but it's you know just panels put together to again form that house. But that is, they are techniques now that are being used in housing. You know, we, we, have, you know, we have this housing crisis going on and modular building techniques are gonna become more and more prevalent because it's allowing you to do um, a lot of the work uh, using less labour um, cheaply and cutting down on that that bill cost on site. You know, you've got hotels now in Wembley that have used this technique and they're, mm. you know, 20, 20 stories high. So, yes, we are using new techniques, but we're still using some of the, the more traditional techniques as well because it's what our visitors want to see. So, yeah, we are trying to incorporate everything. When you, when you take the show up to um, to Manchester, to Event City, um, there it, it's an excellent venue. I've, uh, I've been there on a couple of occasions, um, and it is, it, it's a, a perfectly acceptable size, but presumably you haven't got quite the scale of venue that you have in somewhere like Olympia, um, no. and the grandness of the old holes that you've got there. Um, how do you have to adapt the presentation of the show when it goes to Manchester from how it's presented visually at Olympia? Yeah, there, there's, there's venue, you know, venue, um, you know, limitations basically with Event City, as you say, it is, um, yeah, it's a great venue and a great catchment area, but it is um, a low venue. So, you know, where we would be, I think this year we, we built a three-story apartment block in Olympia because you have the ceiling height there. In Event City, you can do one and a half stories at most. <clears throat> so that's, you, you have to be cleverer with what you're doing. You know, we are putting on three-story houses, but effectively, officers are going through them and they're seeing sort of inspiring room sets. When you get somewhere like Manchester, you are having to stretch that and look at more uh, other, you know, Build. so bungalows, room sets, but still giving the visitors 
that's you know that content and the ideas and the inspirations that they that they want to find so yes you know we have to tailor it Glasgow again it's um, it's in between the two you know a two-story building at the SECC is fine um, also with these venues we're running four-day shows as opposed to a 17-day open period in London so yeah. and so that means that comes with slightly less build time as well so there's those considerations that we have to you know take into account as well um, how, how are you what's the what's the right way to phrase this um, adapting the way that you talk to the audiences uh, it because of the portfolio of events now and the fact that people don't necessarily have to travel from all the way up in in Scotland and the north of England and Wales into London for that one big show a year have you had to adapt the communication channels significantly in order to address all of these different audiences through the different shows and um, have you been able to incorporate things like social media um, the show apps and things in order to be able to communicate with the right people for the right event at the right time yeah obviously you know we've had to um, you know come up with with individual marketing campaigns for, for each show and you know a show in in Glasgow will have um, very much a regional emphasis in its above the line you know media so you know we're advertising in um, you know the Scottish newspapers Scottish newspapers on the Scottish bus backs you know there's no point coming much further down um, you know than really um, you know South South Glasgow really you know we're, we're very much concentrated in Scotland but then obviously you do have you know social media it is it is everywhere now everyone that's coming to our shows has a Twitter handle has a Facebook has you know has all of these these mediums be it Pinterest you know YouTube they're coming very well informed now to our show so I suppose we're we're trying to say you know the ideal home show we you know we're trying to be a bit of a, an authority on on the on homes on houses come to one of our shows we will you know you've got this huge array of um, resources we will help you make your decision we've got our you know hundreds of exhibitors that you've probably been looking at online in one place to help you make your decision help you make your purchase so um, it's it's trying to um, do both really it's trying to have that regional marketing campaign but also um, focus very much you know on the social media side um, it's trying to constantly adapt and we're always trying to feed in um, new stuff for social media you know digital marketing agencies we met one this afternoon that's trying to you know weave in more more video content short sharp um, you know box pops almost you know there's no point us putting up a 30 minute um, demonstration for one of our theatres it's got a you know you've got you've got seconds really to try and engage people and say look look at what the ideal home show is doing so that's what we're trying to do I'm, I'm sure you'll have a, a significant sized and experienced team within media 10 but in the wider events industry now there are loads of great small tech companies who are working behind the scenes a lot a lot of them are not necessarily customer facing um, but they're developing great tools and plugins and add-ons and, and apps and systems that will integrate your visitor registration system with your social media and etc cetera, etc cetera. have you um, made any significant strides as a, as a company or within your portfolio of events to engage the services of some of these tech companies and look to see what's out there and what's on offer yeah absolutely as, as I said we, we met one today you know when I say it was a, a digital marketing agency it was pretty much two guys who 
you know, knew more about, you know, search engine optimization um, and video than, than I will ever profess to know. But yeah, we, we're, you know, any one of these people can have a, have a good idea. So we are trying to, to engage with, with anyone, you know, and, and all of the below the line stuff, you know, that, that the digital side of things, it's, it's usually not big companies that can make that difference to you, you know. It's it's very clever technical people that um, you know almost they're quite you know they're very focused you know they've mm -hmm. they've got this this yeah. idea of how to take your very big established brand and you know find strands to get it out to as many people as possible via via social media so yeah we are we are developing that side of things quite quickly as well because you have to be quick in this day and age because. There's going to be something else that comes along, you know, very soon. And if you're not on board, then you know you're quite frankly lost. I uh, I asked you um, a, a few minutes ago to reference some of the the the, the or reflect on some of the elements of the London show that you look back and you think I'm really pleased we did that. And you you were kind enough to give us a couple of examples. When you look ahead to Scotland and and further ahead to Manchester. Are there already things that you are incorporating within those events that you think I'm going to keep a close eye on that because I think that might work this year? Yeah, well, you know, the, the two things that I mentioned, the Eat and Drink Festival um, and the, you know, George Clark's rotating home, both of those elements are coming up to Scotland uh, and to Manchester. The Eat and Drink Festival, we want, we're going to run it alongside all five ideal home shows, which I haven't mentioned the two Christmas shows that we run, one in Olympia again and um, one back at Manchester at the end of November. So the Eat and Drink Festival will um, feature alongside the Idle Home Shows at, at all of these events and you know, eventually it will become hopefully a, you know, a standalone event in its own right and, and you know, tour the UK, such has been the, the feedback from it. So those two elements, yeah, they are, they are going up to Scotland uh, and up to Manchester as well. And on a, a supplier point of view, I mentioned about some of the, the technology providers that you've got um, and some of the people that you may be engaging on that front, but when it comes to the more practical and operational side of things, the fact that you now have this portfolio of events rather than just one big event a year in London, um, have you um, gone out to tender in terms of establishing certain suppliers that will travel with you around the country now for things like for AV, for stand services, for power, for lighting, all of those various little elements that, that make up yeah. the show? Yeah, very much so. You know, you, we've got, I think, some great relationships with our suppliers uh, and it makes sense to to you know, tie them up. Not, I'm not, not, not necessarily into long-term contracts, but certainly into show season contracts. You're, you know, you're going to realise the economies of scale. So we do work very much, you know, with with the same companies. AUV, you know, we've worked with Aztec now. I think for the last eight years across a whole number of shows. Um, Freeman as our our stand supply. You know, we worked with Freeman for the last you know eight years as well, and and they pretty much go from show to show with us as well and mm -hmm. it, it, it helps efficient it helps drive those efficiencies it, it helps everything to work and to gel on site <clears throat> and you know we, we've seen the benefit of it you you can get things done a lot quicker you can get them done a lot cheaper especially you know if a Freeman or an Aztec know that they're gonna go be going to the next three shows or five shows or seven shows in a calendar year then they're gonna be more up for doing you a better deal and maybe offering you some sort of discount 
as opposed to doing a you know a one-off show. Ops companies as well. <clears throat> we've you know we've we've dealt with the same sort of companies for the last eight years. We're we're a very loyal company, and we find that that breeds loyalty back to us. And mm -hmm. you know we like to think of ourselves as, as a, very much an enlarged family. Um, what we found though is that media has grown quite quickly. You know we've gone from from ten employees. You know. 12 years ago <clears throat> up to about 280 plus now just in the UK excuse me added to, that, you know, there's, added to that there's probably 40 or so in China now um, so it's hard to <coughs> keep pace with some of the suppliers that we're dealing with so we're, we're constantly looking for new suppliers as well because we are growing at such a rate we need either the people working with to grow with us or if not we're gonna you know have to look elsewhere which we've done and we found some great companies by by doing that as well because of the um, because of the, the 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 nature of the event, um, it is a a show, an exhibition in some respects. But again, going back to this word entertainment, it's a lot more than that. And I've, I remember going to the show when it was at Earl's Court for many years, um, and it is a, a different type of experience to going to a, a normal trade show or consumer exhibition. Um, and we've been having a little look through TripAdvisor um, because people are actually posting their experiences, um, interestingly, on TripAdvisor, which is perhaps not mm. something you would usually associate with an exhibition and an, and an right. event. Um, is that something that you, you pay attention to? You're aware of the fact that people are posting reviews and things on there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Ideal Home Show is such a, you know, such an institution. People are hugely passionate about the show. They come year after year. I think everyone, if you ask them and say, do you know the Idle Home Show or do you know someone that's been to the Idle Home Show, they will answer yes. It's, you know, our visitors and our exhibitors are as much involved in this show as we are. Um, so, yes, you know, it's we do take huge um, notice of, of everything written, good or bad, because it, it's the only way, you know, that we're going to improve the show. We, we, we do listen, we take it on board and, you know, you can't with that many people you know we're we're probably getting close to a half million people through the ideal home show doors in in a calendar year that's an awful lot of people to keep happy you're always going to get some people that you know haven't had the best day out for whatever reason it may just be yeah. you know they, they missed a tube to even get to your event but they're, they're walking through the through your doors and they haven't had the best yeah. experience getting there so you know we listen and we, we do react Forgive me for, for for mentioning this, but this is ultimately, a, 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 I think, going to spin a very positive uh, positive angle on here for all event organisers. And, and there is, uh, we've been just having a quick look through uh, TripAdvisor, and there was a post here. When you talk about passionate, loyal visitors to your event um, who come year on year, there's a lady here who posted pretty much word for word that we're loyal visitors. We come every year. We have a certain routine of doing things, and one of the routines is that they always book afternoon tea. Right. And unfortunately, unfortunately, this year they had a bad experience. Yeah, they, they, they said the service wasn't uh, particularly great. It was very, very slow. They had to wait. It, it didn't quite meet their expectations in terms of what they'd had before at the show. Um, mm -hmm. They, they, they posted on the TripAdvisor, but under Olympia London. So the venue have, have essentially bounced that back to them and said, "Well, it, it's mm -hmm. operated. It's operated by the organisers of, of the show rather than." rather than us, so by all means contact them directly. Um, I'm curious to know as to what 
how, how do you and the venues, and not just Olympia, but Manchester and Scotland as well, when you have this sheer number of people coming through the doors to these events in mm. such well-known venues, how do you debrief and plan with the actual venues themselves to make ensure that the best experience is being delivered to what is ultimately your customers? We're probably in dialogue with, with all the venues, probably in the, in the run, I'd say six months out from when the show's open the door, we probably pretty much have a monthly catch-up um, with the venue and, you know, to run through every, you know, every aspect of, of the forthcoming show, you know, health and safety, traffic, catering, um, you mentioned, um, you know, the build program, um, the, the, the transport links, are they, you know, engineering works. We, we've got constant dialogue going with the venues. Um, it's funny you mentioned that that one complaint there um, was uh, Olympia. It, we, certain venues we go to, we are, um, we have to use sort of venue caterers, which, which, is, which is, you know, which, which is fine. So, you know, so some are better than others, and you, you know, that that lady there, unfortunately, may have, I don't know, had you know a drink spilt on a whatever. We've we've got to take what she said there, and you, you said she's a very loyal visitor. We've got to try and win her back because she could then become our greatest advocate. So she wants to know that we've listened to her, reacted. Um, I'll be interested, you can hopefully forward that on to me and I'll make sure that we've we've answered that, that well, complaint well, I, as well because I want to know that we've answered her because there's nothing worse if she hasn't been listened to. She's going to tell so many people that, you know, the Ideal Home Show don't care. If we can manage to say, reassure her, get her back on side, she'll then say, the Ideal Home Show hopefully are wonderful, they've yeah. listened to me and they've reacted. Well, th th there's a, a direct question that I'd like to ask, and then and then it will lead me on to, to raising a point about this this particular example. Um, at Olympia, is that one of the venues where you use the venues catering services, or do you deal with that yourself? And is it essentially just a, a blank canvas venue that you put everything into? No, we we have to use um, the Olympia caterers. They they have a um, Levy's Restaurants and Creative Events are their two sort of incumbent venue caterers that we, that we have to use for anything um, we're doing within their hospitality rooms. Um, obviously the Eat and Drink Festival, we, um, we obviously sell in a lot of stands and those exhibitors are offering food for on-site consumption as well. So, so there's both yeah. um, aspects, but, but in terms of venue catering, yeah, we can't bring our own caterers into that venue without you know paying a buyout fee well, well, well in, in that instance then and again I'm not I hope you don't find this a completely sort of loaded line of questioning but it, it, it is an interesting one and and one that is relevant to other event organizers as well in that in this instance the response on TripAdvisor clearly refers mm -hmm. the customer to you as the event organizer so essentially bouncing it away straight batting it if you would um, yes. saying well, it's nothing to do with us, it's the organiser. Um, yeah. What I would say on a very positive note about this, and the thing that struck me when reading it, is that it's a significantly worded post. Now somebody who takes the time to yeah. put that much effort into writing a post of that nature is irked, but not irked enough to not come again, if you see what I mean. She's right. obviously as she points out and says it in the, in, in the post, the lady is, is a loyal customer, they come every year. And I yeah. always think 
I always think that if somebody takes the time, 15, 20 minutes out of their day to sit and carefully craft a well-worded passage of text about their experience, good or bad, that ultimately what you've got there is still a customer that you can, you can keep. Somebody who's never going to come again is simply going to post a two-line comment and that will be the end of it. So yep. again, forgive me if this was a bit of a loaded line of questioning, but ultimately what I see there with that lady in that post of reading it in full is a lot of wording, a lot of care, a lot of attention put in, and somebody who, if given the right feedback and given the right attention as a response to that particular complaint, is somebody who ultimately is going to remain a loyal customer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you said there she she cares. It's almost like she's got a, a vested interest in the in the show as well, and and she has. You know, we want those <coughs> brand loyalists that are going to talk up the Idle Home Show, and it, it's really frustrating when when we get you know complaints like this. But we we as a company make a point of if we receive them in here, written email, whatever phone, we make a point of going back to each and every one. So. Um, you know, we will hopefully get this lady back on side. I've no doubt, and what's interesting as well is that there are eight, uh, eight helpful votes on that review. Yeah, on on Triple. I'm sure I'm sure your guys will be able to digest all of the analytical information and all the uh, the stuff on there. But it, it is interesting, and as I said, I'm really pleased that you've been good enough to 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 address it and ask it because um, I think an awful lot of attention is paid to the positive aspects of events. Yeah. And like any business, like anything that's in the entertainment industry, sometimes we have to focus and pay more attention, arguably, to the negative aspects than to the positive ones. It's great, you know, singing our own praises and blowing on our own trumpet, saying wasn't that fabulous and wasn't that fabulous. But actually if people put more of a focus into what wasn't quite as good, they would have better events all round. <coughs> yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that a negative comment like that is mu is more important to us almost than 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 a positive one. You know, positive ones they're nice, but they don't they they don't almost, you know, they give you a health check as to your event, but, you know, a negative comment like that is almost saying, you know, there's something slightly wrong here. Um, I would be grateful if you could address it. And um, we act more on the negative comments than we do the positive ones. Absolutely. When we get out this 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 busy spring period that, that we talked about right at the, at the very start of today's episode, um, I guess there inevitably there's a break in those summer months when it, it, you know this sort of show just wouldn't work in, in the summer season. Um, do you pick it up then in autumn, and where does the calendar then take you in the latter part of the year? Yeah, so there is a lull after the spring shows, only a slight lull. You know, as you know, we'll we'll be we'll be rebooking exhibitors on site. We'll be we'll be debriefing. You know, the spring we've already debriefed the the, sp the spring show that finished in April. Um, it's a pr it's a 12 month a year process, but mm. um, there is a you know thankfully a slight lull where um, we get you know a, a week or two's holiday. Um, we then go you know headlong into the into the autumn shows, and that starts um, September. We've got 100% design, which is you know our market leading design show, and then you're yep. back on that treadmill, and it's event after event you know we we have uh, grand designs in october we have cake and bake in october we have idle home show christmas in november two editions of that in manchester uh and london and probably some other events that i've forgotten that's only in the uk 
What what I would say um, as as we look as we get towards wrapping up um, this episode is that so many so many events exhibitions conferences can look the same you know regardless of what the content is they could be picked up and essentially put somewhere else and you wouldn't know that it was a a different exhibition or a different conference or a different show of any description and what I would say having been to the ideal home show on on many occasions that it's something that always has a a unique visual identity to it as well straight away I think there's there's not a lot of other shows in the world that you could walk into and not realize oh hold on I'm in the ideal home show um, is mm -hmm. that visual stimulus something that you are also constantly revising and presumably you've got a, a team of designers and and people who work on the artistic side of things to make sure that there's that visual impact for people when they arrive yeah absolutely it's so important especially to the ideal home show you know we had you know, back in the day at Earl's Court, you know, we used to cover the front of building in in AstroTurf. We're, it's yeah. it's so important to create that that first initial impression. We want people getting off the tube, getting off the bus, the car, whatever, look, walking up to the venue and just going, wow. You know, we want them to smile. We want them to think, you know, I'm glad I've arrived here at the Ideal Home Show. They're walking through the door. They're in a good mood. They're then, you know hopefully met with with a good looking show and then they're, they're they're in the right frame of mind to to engage with the exhibitors to to talk to them and to hopefully buy lots of stuff you know um it is very important to us it's something media tends pride itself on you know not just on the ideal home show across every show um i could you know almost bit my bottom dollar the amount of money that we invest into show design probably outweighs that of um, most other uh, organizers our um our guest this evening on the event industry news podcast has been Giles Perry. Giles is the event director for the Ideal Home Show portfolio of events at Media Ten. Um, I feel that we've only really sort of scratched the surface on what we could have talked about between London, Manchester, and Scotland, and and then you know even before we get to the autumn shows, um, and then. Uh, along with that we've got the overseas events that you guys are, are running so I think it'd be great if you're up for it Giles and if any of the other team members there are up for it let's get you back on a, a, another episode of the show in the future and um, I think it'd be good to maybe look at some of those overseas uh, events that you guys are putting on and um, and, and bring some attention to those because I've looked at them personally and um, I know there's some sort of fascinating things that you're doing with those shows so let's get you back on hopefully um, at some point in the future it's, it's a deal. We've got exciting times here at Media 10. Fantastic. Um, don't forget uh, that the Event Industry News podcast is kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, head over and visit n200.com. Next week's podcast uh, well, it's not a podcast because next week is one of our monthly event tech talks it's uh, next Tuesday at 1 Wimpole Street following that the podcast is going to uh, looking into a unique and unusual venue report that's on the 30th of May I think so next week event tech talks at 1 Wimpole Street uh, so the next event into news podcast being streamed two weeks today if you're watching it on Tuesday the 16th of May. Don't forget you can also listen back to all episodes of the podcast uh, as audio versions uh, by subscribing to iTunes. Video versions of the live stream are also placed onto eventindustrynews.com for you to be able to watch back. Um, you can also stay up to date with the latest content from eventindustrynews.com by downloading the brand new Event Industry News app which is available for all the major mobile devices. A great episode today. 
Final thanks absolutely should go to Giles Perry from Media 10 for joining the podcast this evening. Giles, looking forward to getting you back on the show again in future. But for now, we're going to wrap up today's episode. My name is James Dixon. This is the Event Industry News Podcast. A very good evening to you all. Thank you. Bye-bye.